0: Hello everyone and welcome to the 24th episode of Across the Aisle, your guide to theatre and the arts in Melbourne. Yes, that means we've been delivering this monthly discussion of theatre for two years, Carla. Oh
1: my god! It has
0: been such a pleasure. I am Philip Teal and I'm here as always with my mentor, Carla Donnelly. Oh, hello. Happy birthday to us. Woohoo. Virtual high fives. I'm still coming down, actually, from our successful crowdfunding campaign to bring a third season of our show to our listeners. Over the next few months, you will notice us collaborating with those who have chosen the more lavish rewards, like sending us to shows of their choice, being named as the sponsor of a review, and in two cases, even joining us during intermission. (sighs) to talk about their month as theatre goers. Oh my god. Can't wait. So thanks to everyone who participated in the campaign by supporting us directly, by sharing it with their friends, or just by holding us as we rocked back and forth in the corner <laughs> of our living rooms. Here are some shout outs to some particularly beloved supporters of across the aisle. Thank you to Jesse Scott and Rick Chen.
1: And Katrina Brenson and Ros McFarlane.
0: Kirsty Marshall, thank you. And Little Ones Theatre, hurrah. Oh,
1: thank you, Little Ones. And Inari Teal, is that related to you?
0: I guess. <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> she is my favourite lesbian godmother who's not a lesbian but fantastic.
1: <laughs> and thank you, Maggie.
0: Cleopatra Supertramp, Madeline Callum.
1: Thank you, Rose Scott and friend of the podcast, Ben McKenzie. Thank you to
0: Christina Marsala and Alison Finch.
1: And thank you to Bridget McPherson and Cassie Grace.
0: Thank you, Kate Larson. Thank you, fellow podcaster, Lee Zachariah.
1: Thanks to Pez Cummings and to our beloved Dion Kagan.
0: Thank you, Kate McCurdy. Thank you, Rosanna Lovell.
1: And thank you to the absolutely gorgeous Adina Jacobs, who coincidentally, we're just about to talk about her show.
0: That is Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Slash to your the town. Yeah. Okay, let's get down to business. Today we'll be following our usual format, discussing two shows that were each chosen by one of us. Carla's pick was The Book of Exodus, part one at Theatre Works, and I chose Revolt, she said, Revolt Again at Malthouse Theatre. These are both highly inventive and memorable productions, so I can't wait to end the embargo and hear Carla's thoughts about them. So let's get back on our bikes to brave the ride to theater works in St. Kilda for the Book of Exodus created by Aaron Orsek and Adina Jacobs.
1: Two children create a documentary of a history they cannot remember. Inspired by the biblical Book of Exodus, Fraught Outfit's latest production is a radical poetic response to an ancient narrative of plagues and miracles, violence and division, punishment and liberation, the drowned and then the saved. Book of Exodus is the final installment in Fraught Outfit's Innocence trilogy, which also includes On the Bodily Education of Young Girls and their highly acclaimed production of The Back Eye. So we actually covered both of those. Productions, uh, which I loved. So, what, well, yes, as you said, we're back over in Southside, which is becoming quite exciting, actually. Love it. Yeah, there's a lot more awesome food options now as well. And I have a secret place that I like parking, which is quite illegal, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> which is always good for a Northsider. Again, another fraught outfit production, linguistically, basically silent movement. Um, the stage was quite incredible. Big pieces of foam that looked like they were on either an iceberg or something sort of very desolate, desert, can't quite determine. We had two small children, a little boy maybe about seven years old and a little girl about eight. I'll drag up, I'll, I'll grab their names in a second.
0: Well, we have four names here because I guess there was a rotating cast. Oh, of course mm. there must be.
1: I was wondering about that as well. and. We were given a handout to describe the the actual story of the Book of Exodus, the Exodus of the Jews, which I half read before I walked in because, like um, Lisa in our last episode, I don't know if everyone knows, but I don't really read much about the plays before we go in, and I never read theatre reviews after them for shows that we're going to see. So I try to remain as unpolluted as possible. So the the characterization of the children. And the conscious choice of children to portray this story was the entire story to me. The movement of the children, particularly their bodies, and that harkens back to the On the Bodily Education of Young Girls, her first performance that we saw, God, on the first episode of the show two years ago. Awesome. The frailty and the fragility of these children really lent the performance... Something that was quite esoteric that I couldn't really put my finger on.
0: Especially since they started out portraying very ancient people.
1: Yes, with a rubber mask.
0: Emerging from that foam you described. I've never seen a production where the performers start... Underneath the set and reveal themselves, sort of coming back from the dead, unburying, um, and then visibly making the experience for us as well. There was a nice behind-the-scenes DIY quality to the aesthetic, uh, most evidently in the way that they would use a camera to create video that was then projected. You could actually see the workings of the look and feel as it was created all around you. And there was a real sense of play, I mean, appropriately for these child performers, but they seemed to be in that wonderful, intuitive way that children have, just keen to be doing what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, here's the camera. This is the moment where I take my beard off. You know, yeah. Each of the steps was sort of experienced in a different way because you were witnessing a child completing the step.
1: Yeah, I, I got a real
0: sense of dress up. Actually, like yeah. the playfulness of of you know putting on different costumes, becoming the Pharaoh of Egypt as a particular character at one point. Yes, there there was that sort of um, imagination.
1: Well, I think that that would be the only way that you could direct a child because the youngest boy was really only he couldn't have been older than eight years old, apart from you know like those really intense child prodigy actors who can learn long amounts of dialogue it was obvious that she also kept her direction of them quite loose Mm -hmm. and just said you know basically go with it or this is the spectrum or the parameters of the movement or the words or where you're supposed to be, but, you know, was very, had a loose hand on them, which I think really ultimately is all you can do with children.
0: And yet it's so rare. Mm. I mean, it's it's the only way when you see it succeed like this. And yet the experience of being a child is actually the very opposite of being given looseness and freedom. Yes, yes. (laughs) yeah. So that that explains the pleasure that we were detecting from these children as they participated in this production because perhaps it was the first time that they had been given an actual space to play in, an actual freedom to produce something creative. There were some wonderfully memorable gestures that I think come about only because of that freedom that the kids had obviously been given around, you know, acting out the role of even a baby, you know, caring for (laughs) another child, or um, again, going back to these sort of iconic dressing up moments. And yet there was also such significance for this most ancient Jewish story for having children embody these roles. There was a real sense that if the instruction from the past, including God, is to remember, mm-hmm. um, then you need the children to, to be try. participating yeah. in that act of re-embodying and re- remembering. Yeah. One of the only words that appears visibly in the production is "Remember this day when I brought you out of Egypt." You know, just that extract, that small fragment of the ancient text being kind of brought in to signify what this act might be doing for a community actually remembering these ancient Mm. stories.
1: And I think we need to note as well that this is part one of the story. There's going to be a part two later in the year. And the note from the creator's also gives a little bit more background to say that the biblical book of Exodus tells the story of the children of Israel, their liberation from slavery in Egypt and their journey towards the Promised Land. Israel here refers not to a place but a person. Jacob, the ancestor of those who settled in Egypt, was also known by the name Israel. Therefore, his descendants are known as the children of Israel, Israelites. If you've listened to our last episode and this episode, having experienced a lot of really high art, silent um, productions. I've found it difficult to really kind of connect with this, particularly because I didn't don't really know much about the book of Exodus or Jewish history. But at the point that I became most frustrated, which was almost at the end, it was the point that really drew me in as a human being, and it's just a scene where the the little boy is, you know, washing himself clean. I think to, you know to enter the the city, and he's just his little frail body on stage. He's just in like a little pair of speedos, you know, sitting in this box, and it just completely snapped me out of wherever it was that I was going in my head. And as much as I'm a bit bewildered by this play. Adina Jacobs eye and breath I feel is always with me. It's so med her shows are so meditative and paced and I find her her eye and her engagement with art so beautiful and captivating. Mm. So although I'm sort of neither here nor there at this show, just to spend time with her and the way that she sees the world is always a rewarding experience for mm. me.
0: My my pleasure was just so multi-layered and one of them – um, one of these layers was textural. I really feel that from the moment that these bodies start emerging from the squeaky foam, yeah, <laughs> and and start really finding things and touching things and wiping things and smearing things, there was a sense. I don't know. It was like some kind of low budget cooking show at times, where it was <laughs> you know part of the pleasure was just looking at the stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, at one moment a child is sort of just drawing blood onto a shoulder. Yeah. Um, as you might do if you were sort of playing doctors. Yeah. Um, and that, that sort of tangible fun that you can have with goo and stuff and garbage in the, in the case of the foam that was just sort of littering the stage and, you know, crappy little golden bangles that suddenly <laughs> yeah. make you feel like an actual queen of the world. Yeah, um, I just felt that there was a successful capture of something quite human. You yeah. know, some, some phase of life that we all experience where to touch something that you haven't touched before is just transporting um, as an experience. And it's just amazing to me. I mean, I come from a background that was, you know, quite immersed in these stories, but from the sort of Christian perspective. In any case, I think that I have always experienced them as opportunities for imagination and play. You know, this large canvas of the story of Exodus with plagues and departures and conflicts and magic has has been sort of at the core, I think, of my um, storytelling style, my way of imagining things. Um, And I reckon that to see kids being... Differently indoctrinated in the best sense of that word, yeah, um, was, was so so personal and fascinating for me.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. I have no doubt it's really strange. I don't know how to describe it like seeing her shows, and they're so different from everything that we see, like, so it's alien. To me, oh,
0: I love that the I love that they actually speak about these things as a series, the Fraught Outfits Innocence trilogy. I know it's like the world, the world that I actually want to keep re-entering, the Marvel universe uh-huh. of Theatre Works St Kilda. You know, it's just amazing. They they obviously know that something different is going on in the work they're doing.
1: Well, they'd have to, but. To me, it's such an alien experience that I still don't really, I don't understand what's happening to me at the time and I don't really understand how I feel afterwards, but I'm so drawn and compelled to her work, particularly, you know, like the back eye was just an assault on the senses and the use of children in that story was quite deliberate in such a different way. And On the Buddha Leave Education of Young Girls was one of the most beautiful and miraculous shows I've ever seen so it feels like it comes from that other place do you know what I mean like there's no words to describe it I feel like it's kind of a bit pointless to try to describe her work
0: but at the most basic level we can reflect on the fact that very few other companies do anything like putting children in front of audiences in a confident way, you know, um, empowering children to be storytellers. I mean, the thing about the Bacchae was that the performers were somewhat older than the performers in this show and something was released, you know. They had a megaphone and they were going to shout into it. They were going to move in a way that was a kind of unleashing and releasing. Um, I think that there are so many ways to... Think about and interpret the work of Fraught Outfit. And the fact that they've called it the Innocence Trilogy is just yeah. so suggestive. Yeah. Um, because these performers are innocent. If we want to sort of use cliches about, you know, quote unquote
1: culturally. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, And yet, on the other hand, such profound, large scale emotions and ideas are being evoked in their performances for the adult audience that they're targeted at. I think it's so radical and so fascinating.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I can't wait to see part two.
0: Thank you, Aaron and Adina. It is intermission.
1: Carla, right. hi. hi, what you doing? Secret intermission. I haven't seen you for ages, what's going on? <laughs> this is Ron for all of our listeners, this is what he sounds like. <laughs> oh hi, you,
2: usually I'm just twiddling knobs. Twiddling,
1: <laughs> that's what they say about you Ron. Well, yeah. <laughs> We're here at a secret performance, do you want to tell everyone what it is?
2: <gasps> the Gloriana Chamber Choir. With Philip teal
1: superstar oh,
2: no less, I should say star of the show he is star of the show. Uh, this is an amazing performance directed by Andrew Rascoms that we went to a few weeks ago
1: and is it said is it pronounced Spem in a liam? is that how this it said I think
2: so yeah it 's Latin, it means hope in another
1: ah, and this was the, the what is it it 's like the main piece of the whole performance yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely, an, an amazing performance there. There was a showcase of all sorts of a cappella choral music put on by the Gloriana Chamber Choir.
1: In a church on Rathdown Street? Yeah. In a freezing Sunday afternoon. Oh, it
2: was so cold, as churches usually are.
1: Yes. This was my first performance like this. Like, I've seen choral performances at the Opera House before, but this uh, in a church, you seem to be more um, educated and active in this space. Tell me your thoughts about it.
2: Oh, look, I was very, very impressed by it. It was a program of uh, seven or, or eight choral pieces. Most of them were quite modern. And when I say modern, by classical music standards, they were written within the last hundred years or so. Wow, okay. But the, the, the main piece, obviously, was the Thomas Tallis, which is this incredible composition mm. written in the, in the 1600s, just pre-baroque.
1: For 40 voices. 40 voices. And 40 individual pieces. Yeah, yeah, so
2: eight choirs of five voices. And what Tellus has done there is he's using the term choir in the sense of independent voices sounding together, not how we would imagine a choir today. Yeah. But he's got eight choirs and it was written so that it was to be performed in the round. And what they mean by that is that the congregation or the audience were in the middle yeah. and they were surrounded by these eight choirs, eight groups of five voices, and the voices were soprano, alto, tenor, baritone and bass.
1: It was so amazing. I've never experienced anything like it. Even though you go to things like this, was this quite unique for you as well? It
2: was. I yeah. haven't heard a performance of this piece, and I was very, very impressed. The choir held the, uh, the intonation extremely well. It doesn't have any orchestral accompaniment or any sort of musical accompaniment they obviously done a lot of rehearsal. Mm. Um, technically, the performance was brilliant. It was really, really enjoyable. And that aspect of sitting in the middle mm. of all the voices, something very different to what people are accustomed to
1: yeah, because after interv- interval intermission, which we 're doing now, they did perform it again, but in a different configuration, <laughs> which I thought was a bit overkill because at that by that point my oh my god my ear my ear canal, my eardrum was ringing in a way that i 've not experienced that before yeah, they not in a, like in a too loud way, but just in a like a sensation way.
2: They literally performed the entire piece again... So that wherever you were sitting, you had a different aspect, I guess. Was that a bit self-indulgent or uh, I, don't, I don't know?
1: I don't know. Like I kind of feel like if you've got a choral, choral piece with 40 individual pieces and everyone's practiced it and it's not very often that you perform it, then I don't know, maybe, maybe whirl it around again in a different configuration. Yeah. I, I don't know if that I was think that's maybe for him more than us. But
2: <laughs> For the director or for Philip, maybe for his benefit. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was so lovely seeing our love performing. Our
2: very own Beau performing.
1: I know. It was a very proud moment for all of us. It was. And Jazzy was there as well. Thank you for coming along. Do you have anything else to say about this? Oh,
2: just that I enjoyed it thoroughly. And also keep a lookout for... Uh, their uh, the next performance they're doing Foray's Requiem in September.
1: I know you're very excited about that. Oh,
2: I'll be a blubbering mess, but I'd love to go and see it. It's an amazing piece of music. So if this is any indication, I'm sure that the performance of the Foray will be magnificent.
1: I definitely want to go, and I think we have to go because Philip's coming.
2: Okay, off you go. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll catch you next, Don't tell him. I'll catch you next time. Okay, bye. Okay, wait, wait. Let me
0: beverage you up, Carla.
1: What's your opinion on mulled wine?
0: Oh, see, it's always there and <laughs> I never, everywhere get, it. I never uh, get it. I never get it.
1: I never get it. I went to it. that night at the Nicholas, you know, okay. um, where they open up the Nicholas building once cool. a year and you get to go on Sticky Beak in the offices. And there's mulled wine. Oh, every friggin' <laughs> every friggin place, yeah, 20 cents have a mulled wine and I'm like... But the smell was so overpowering. There's
0: something about mulled wine that signifies that nobody ever really gets what they want, though, because, like, when <laughs> it's there, everyone suddenly <laughs> wants it. <laughs> Which I guess is fine, too, because I do officially like the idea of, like, the plat du jour, like the restaurant you just go to and it's like, here's what you've got today. Yeah, okay. Enough taste already, enough American-style individualism, just have your mulled wine. It's what we've got. I kind of like that.
1: It's too sweet. Let me give you the hot tip, though. I don't like mold wine, but someone turned around to me one day and said, try the IKEA mold wine. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. That is my language. And they have mold <laughs> white wine as well. So <gasps> hot awesome. tip, hot tip.
0: Thank you, literally. On, what have
1: you been up to, Phil? Well,
0: I have been enjoying a little break from school, as oh, teachers yes. periodically school do. School holidays. In the very decadent, luxurious lives. Actually, not being ironic there. Um, I've been hiking, I've been... Oh, hey, there's this cool course I'm doing.
1: <gasps> what is on it? On YouTube. What?
0: Not about YouTube. There's
1: courses on YouTube.
0: About film history, ironically. But there's everything ironically. on YouTube. So this yeah. is, well, all over YouTube are Crash Courses. That's the name of the organisation that makes them. But this one about film history is new, ah. very schmick but very well taught. Lots of great graphics that are actually helpful in understanding the super early stuff, the Edison sort of stuff, and the magic tricks, early editing things, and then the Russians with their kind of nerdy approaches to editing and the Germans with their weird ghost stories. Ten-minute episodes that you can just sort of take as a bite-sized chunk. You know, there's the... Rhiness that internet teaching always seems to need to have, which I guess is okay. Everything's a little bit ironic. But I am actually learning stuff I want to know. So Well that's good. Yeah, if you're like me and you've got a, you know, mild identification with the Cinephile category but don't really know anything, Crash Courses Film History is helping me out.
1: Oh, I'm totally into that. I'm gonna check it out. It's a good one. I want to um, raise some movies that I've been seeing. So I hate anything that's over an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. So I don't really go to the movies anymore. That would be everything. Yeah, it's fucking bullshit. I love an edit. Hello, everyone (laughs) out there. Edit. Um, But I have seen two films recently that I've really enjoyed and I want to help everybody out. So um, Get Out. It's still I've on at heard the cinema. About this. Like, it's fully, it's so old, but it's still on at Nova. Cool. So, if you're looking to go and see a super great, amazing horror movie, is it like funny, funny horror? No, it's just like a th- kind of just, yeah, maybe a little bit. Like, old school. a good horror in the way that there is like a lot of funny moments in it to kind of break it up. And it's not like gory or anything, but it is a very, very funny black horror film. Which is awesome, so you should go and see it. Cool. And actually me and my boyfriend go to the drive in every now and again on a Monday. Are you no, I'm seriously. <laughs> it is the best. You can get a fucking hot jam donut delivered to your I car. I have babe. just assumed
0: forever that they've all shut down. It just seems like the thing that would shut down.
1: But I when, love it there. But when you go to the drive in, it's a bit it's like it is a bit of a shit <laughs> movie watching experience. Okay. Like it's not as good as being in like the new cinemas with all the sound oh, and yeah. everything. So you don't really go and watch movies that you're like invested in actually enjoying. Mm. So usually we'll go and just watch go and watch a shit movie, which is sometimes <laughs> really fun.
0: Do you so, turn on <laughs> your like car radio and tune into? to yeah. a, Oh my God. And the
1: best part is the reason why we go is because we can take the dogs. Hey. So we all hang out in the car together. And yeah. do the
0: dogs run around with other dogs?
1: Uh in the summertime. Okay. But in the winter we just you know we're all snug up in the car together. How radical. Because we hate leaving them at home. So, um, yeah, so we can take the dogs on a Monday night. It's only 10 bucks each or it's $25 for a full car. Oh, yes. Is that uh, Coburg? Yeah, Coburg. Okay. So we went and saw The House, which is the new Amy Poehler, Will Ferrell movie, which I was pretty, you know, like, lukewarm on. Like, oh, well, it'll be, you know, a fun movie to go and see and we'll forget all about it. Mm. But, and, you know, I went and saw the new Amy Schumer one, which was like racially problematic and I'm like, oh, maybe this is what this is going to be like. But actually it is awesome. Oh. So I highly... The house. The house.
0: Cool. It's and the driving. It's a really
1: <laughs> stupid screwball comedy. Yay. And it's stupid and fun and it's not offensive in mm. any way which is ridiculous these days. Mm. And I think it was only like an hour and 40 minutes. So I highly recommend it. And I recommend movies. Coburg Drive-In. Yes, please.
0: Yes. I'll need to get a car. But apart from that,
1: yes. You'll need to get. (laughs) Priorities. (laughs) I'll take you. I'll take you. We'll go.
0: Okay. Ah, Back we go. Gotta go. Revolt, she said, revolt again, according to its program, is a theatrical assault on the language that has reinforced violence against women for centuries and an explosion of what womanhood means in the 21st century. The writer is Alice Birch, and it's directed by Janice Muller. And lighting is by Emma Valente, who also lit the other show for our episode. So, Emma, thank you for bringing us both of our productions And with Emma your, Valente
1: is oh my um, God. the, I don't want to say co-owner, but co-producer of The Rebel.
0: Oh, I see. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was super excited just by the lighting, but there's also that. So, brilliant. In any case, in a series of equally funny and disturbing events, the everyday is turned upside down. Dirty talk is stripped naked, a marriage proposal is interrogated, and nudity is embraced in the dairy aisle, etc. <laughs> So, indeed, this is a fragmented little piece of theatre, jumping in a kind of deliberately bold, shaky way from one little vignette to the next. I loved that it started with seduction, you know, drew the audience in uh, with a man just doing a terrible job of... of
1: talking, <laughs> talking dirty to his girlfriend.
0: You know, this this kind of po-faced guy... <laughs> just wanting to make love to his girlfriend, but ended up saying such absurd things as, I am making you my dildo. Or was that what she said? (laughs) I think that's what she said. In any case, it is direct. You know, the idea is clear. This is about listening closely to the way we speak as members of the public, as lovers, as consumers, and noticing the depressing truth that a lot of it does violence to women. And it's a call to arms that makes its call really, I think, mostly by presenting what is true and just turning up the volume, turning up the glare. So we get to witness what is going on for people every day. In fact, one of the lines from the play is, I choose it over and over again. And just as a backdrop and a kind of footnote to all of this, there are these slogans that are offered. Words appear, you know, do not marry. A literal
1: backdrop, he means. That's right. Well, that's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So as we watch a person try to get the day off on Monday and encounter hostility, resistance, inflexibility, there is this possible solution in terms of these deliberately slogan-like phrases that you can also buy on t-shirts after the show. I know. (laughs) Like, revolutionise the world, do not marry. So there was a real sense, I mean, another connector that I saw between the two productions is that there was a kind of dressing up and taking off of costume going on in this production too, which really created a sense of rhythm as people moved between scenarios that were quite concentrated and then broke off into sometimes really chaotic scenes. It was that big room at Malthouse, the set was, was on wheels and would sort of lurch forward and backward as people ran around. So there was this really sense of chaos at times, but then coalescing into these vignettes that showed us something sharp and difficult for um, life under the patriarchy.
1: Yes, sorry, were you going to? Well, I was
0: just going to say, who knew that life could be so awful? Which was a quote from.
1: <laughs> was that from, that from was from the fi- that was the final mm, line? Mm.
0: And the answer is just like, well, I guess all of us.
1: I really hesitate to say this, but I fucking hated this show. This is the show, I just, I can't even describe how much I dislike this show and I can't really even actually rationalise why it has irritated me so much, which probably says, you know, more about me. And look, it's an all-female production, director, lighting designer, writer, all the people in the cast were women except for one man. I'd like to get my hands on the original script to really understand what the script was and whether that differs to how it was produced but I don't understand what this show was about at all yeah there was some vague understanding of language matters and um, you know what if women said what they actually thought and felt and experienced on a day-to-day basis Uh, there was an attempt to dramatize that I did Like the show within a show. So it began with three small vignettes in a container on the stage and then the container was rolled away and then the rest of the stage was then utilised seemingly as the the outer world or the outer dialogue um, surrounding these issues. But the second half of the play where we get into that meta-environment And the chaos of the portrayal of that by the actors and where that script, where the story went, I just, it was just screaming to me. It was just 20 minutes or half an hour of people running around on the stage, screaming, taking off their clothes, putting different clothes on. It was, and look, you know, obviously something is lost because on me because i think a fair few people did really enjoy this show intellectually and i think that there was some reference that was lost on me but it just it didn't connect with me at all and i don't understand what it was supposed to say and if it was supposed to be this wry you know, with the the T-shirt slogans on for sale, I think that's supposed to be, like, ironic and wry. You know, just pop a fucking slogan on a T-shirt. That'll make it better. It was just too chaotic and noisy for me to actually understand what it was trying to say.
0: Yeah. I, I think it was... More successful at identifying problems than solutions, but I think that that is okay. I think that a lot of work there aren't
1: a lot of solutions. Well, right absolutely, now. <laughs> sure.
0: And and there were moments when the setting shift led to a precision around what experiences are. Kind of being served to women in our culture that are limiting and absurd. Um, I thought that the comedy was effective often precisely because you only have to sort of turn up the volume a little bit on the request being made by a woman for suddenly it to be clownishly Mm. ludicrous. Mm. I mean, the thing that's actually obviously stuck with me the most is a scene when a woman is simply asking for a day off. And that individual request is the catalyst for a kind of outbreak of chaos and um, a sense of total craziness and hysteria, right? Mm. The pathologizing of that by our society keeps going on, that you're seen as a crazy person to ask for something that is actually going to help you to survive, to help you to be human. Mm. Um, It was – intriguing that they went for a kind of cabaret style or a um, fringy comedy salty sort of style to deliver this material Mm -hmm. and I think that was more directorial than in the script however I went with a couple of my friends and the mood in the audience was interestingly one of uh, playfulness and oh you know. I've seen that before, or that reminds me of my own terrible hookup. And I thought that drawing the audience in in that way to reach some kind of consensus, almost in a sort of tradition of democratic theatre, a chorus-like agreement that, yes, the patriarchy is limiting and needs to be resisted, is worth having experienced.
1: I just don't get it. I really don't understand this show. (laughs) Because I think... Is it supposed to be galvanising for women to go and watch it and be like, oh, yeah, I recognise this. This is my lived experience. Thank God someone is regurgitating it back to me. I feel validated. Or is it meant to illuminate people on the struggle of women under the patriarchy and provide some kind of educational tool? I don't think it was successful for either. And I, so I, I just... I kind of found this show really pointless. Yeah. And, but it and, sounds like you got something out of it.
0: Well, although as you speak, I don't have an answer for you. I mean, the things that I'm remembering uh, were not actually necessarily bringing new knowledge for me. And the real things that moved me the most were, under your reading of the play pretty problematic. They were moments of kind of whimsy and embodied freedom and experience of women within this terrible system. I mean, at one moment, a woman simply climbs up a ladder onto the roof of the container away from the system that oppresses her. And that's not a satisfactory strategy for Mm. people fighting the patriarchy. Nevertheless, it was memorable and had an impact. But what is that impact? So, so I'm enjoying the questions that you're raising because it's leading me to have a think about whether or not making a spectacle of an observation that the patriarchy is the enemy, whether that spectacle making is sufficient or not. Um, I am pleased that I went, but am I pleased that I went because I had a riveting, joyous, spectacular experience? Um, And if that's the case, is that potentially actually increasing rather than reducing the problem that's described?
1: Spectacle is the word. And I think that's why I'm angry about this show. It feels ludicrous to be angry about a show. But it felt... I'm sure everybody's heart was in the place that I assume it was. But it felt like a spectacle on a cause that I find very serious and dear to my heart, and I don't feel like it was a way to get people in who need to be educated on it. It felt – disingenuous isn't the right word, but it's – I don't know. like.
0: And it sounds like the anger you're feeling is not the kind of anger that they might have been aiming for when they put the word galvanise over the set.
1: It's – yeah, yeah.
0: Because, because one one use of anger might be to galvanise people into some kind of response.
1: It's too high art to connect with the people that it needs to connect with. And that high art is not, you know, a, a diss in any way. But I think in terms of the space that women have in main stage theatre... And the kinds of programming that we have, it's definitely bold programming, like hats off to the Malthouse for this experimental bold programming, but it did not connect the dots that I felt it wanted to connect with the show, and I feel like it was a real lost opportunity, and I feel like it is a damaging show for feminist shows, so that they might not be programmed in the future, I'm not sure, so... Mm. Yeah, I d- look. I I really appreciate, especially. I love Belinda McClory. I love her so much. I love so many of the actors in it, but it just really it didn't get anywhere for me.
0: I'm watching with interest this way that the Malthouse is marketing itself more and more as a space for political theatre. And in fact, this show could be bought in a three show package mm. that was sort of curated around you know, the raised fist, you know, raise your voices, come to the theatre to hear people who might have a political effect on you as an audience member. My hope is that there were members of the audience who had a non-detrimental political experience. And if not at that show, then in a space like The Malthouse that continues to see that as possible and significant. Um, So, yeah, the context is as interesting to me as this particular production... But, yeah, you certainly wouldn't want to have too many people going to a show like that one and feeling that it is counterproductive to the cause.
1: Well, having actually talked about it now with you, I feel a lot better. I feel like I've sort of right-sized it enough. This show, look, whatever about this show, I don't really care either way, but I think I object most to it being programmed on the main stage. It is far too experimental and lofty in its philosophy it would be perfect for like the arts festival like if I went and saw that at an arts festival it'd be like oh well okay great cool that was some kind of weird you know experimental feminist shouty play but it being in this space and programmed in this way when they you know when other work could probably Put across their message in a much more um, effective and widespread way. I think that's the thing that's made me quite cross—a mm, kind of
0: category error. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Intriguing, yeah. And there's more to think about there because because I reckon that for many, including perhaps younger people, that whole set of rooms at the Malt House is imagined as the non-main stage. You know, mm. to go to the Malt House over the Art Centre or the MTC is already making a choice to. Be bolder and sure. to drink more beer beforehand.
1: Yeah, a little too experimental for me. <laughs> I yeah. love I that we made my, you say that. If I could put my David Stratton hat on. A little bit too experimental for me.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: Thank you for talking it out with me. Totally.
0: It is coming soon. What is next in Melbourne? What should we all be seeing? Ideas.
1: Ah. Uh, coming up in July, mid July to the end of July, a friend of the podcast Pez Cummings, who was a sponsor, has written a play called *The Association*, which is about the country women's association. Oh, really? Yeah, and hey. it's, and it's in Yarraville. Oh, like what the fuck? Hey, that's
0: so, so intriguing. We can
1: go to Yarraville and Please. have delicious. Cambodian food and go and see a play about the Country Women's Association. And
0: then we can go to the Northcote Town Hall to see that Cholkus adaptation that I am interested in. Scott's. I wanna see that. Yeah. That's that's another interesting non C B D um, event. Do you know anything about Frankenstein that Theatre Works is doing?
1: I'm not a fan of Lally Cat. Okay. Scott, I'm shitting on women this okay. entire episode. But um, What about
0: Mary Wallenstein Craft Shelley? Oh
1: uh, yes. <laughs> I love Frankenstein. Um, I think I should probably re engage with Lally Katz's work because it's been a long time since I've seen something of hers. I uh, just
0: love that every time I'm sort of intuitively drawn to a show, it then says down the bottom, as featured on VCE English text list.
1: And I'm uh, like, oh, ah, <laughs> teacher stereotype. She's another one – she's, you know, the alternative uh, female playwright that gets all the other commissions. Yeah,
0: sure, sure. Um,
1: So it's really – I
0: think I might check it out for the Frankenstein. That's that's late July as well.
1: It does look really interesting. Mm, mm. I'm not a fan of magical realism and that's kind of her deal. So, yeah, it's not really something that I'm into. Uh Uh-huh. Um, It's probably something not so much coming soon because it's just hanging around on Netflix if you have an account. But I've got another recommendation. Um, My boyfriend hates everything. It's such a great thing for a critic to be with someone he he just yes he's very difficult to please which is fabulous (laughs) so we watch a lot we do a lot of tv shows we watch one episode of like a billion tv shows and we finally found one that we actually really like together and it's called crazy head (coughs) it's an english tv show it's kind of pretty much like english buffy but they're demons oh i guess like that was buffy as well it's super fab, it's very funny, it's very sharp and um, it's just completely on point. It's very modern, it's fabulous. Sounds
0: gross. Yeah.
1: So if you're hibernating at the moment, check it out.
0: Okay, that is it for this month. Thanks for listening. You can contact Carla and me at us, at on our Facebook page Across Isle, or via Twitter. At Across Isle, Thank you Shaq West And Mark Barrage For our music And sound And thank you To all the artists Whose work We immersed ourselves In this month You are Everything to us Without you We'd have to be Angry about local politics <laughs> See you all Very soon For our next Year of monthly episodes Oh my god Season 3 Bring it on baby Okay
1: See you later